You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. So uh, we, uh, we're all aware that church isn't meant to be a club. You know, we gather here, we are the, the church and that's it. And we just keep this. We understand that Jesus gave this mission to the church. He called the church his body to continue those things he did. He embodied God's kingdom to the world, and now we get to do that as well. So church is never this. You know, this is our Sunday service. We gather as church, but we are church when we are scattered through the week in workplaces and homes and neighborhoods with friends, all that sort of stuff. Um, But I don't know if you've ever been in a church service and someone stands and they tell the story and they say, uh, I just thought I said they tell the story. Um, Tell, anyway. Uh, Need to adjust that because that was irritating me. Um, And they say something like, you know, I was in the queue for the bank or I was on an airplane, I was sat next to this person and I got chatting and I told them the gospel, then they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then I baptized them. And, and I don't know if you've ever done that, and then you've sat and thought, that is amazing. I feel totally inadequate. You know, just like, it's this kind of overwhelming sense. And I think often with the church, we run to the last thing Jesus did when he commissioned the church, which is called the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he told his disciples. That is what he's told us as a church. That's really important. We do. But something we miss sometimes is the development the disciples had, this training they had. And we're kind of trying to jump in. It's like, you know, like trying to do surgery without going to surgery school. I don't know what it's called. Um, Or something, you know, like that's very good. But the disciples did get to learn as as they went along. And this is what we want to think about today. So We're going to look at a passage in Matthew 5. So in the chronology of Jesus' ministry and his training his disciples, this is right at the start. This is the beginning. And I think it's a really good place for us who feel intimidated when we hear these amazing stories about people moving to different countries or people just doing stuff in bank queues and on aeroplanes. For us just to say, well, this is where they started to learn this so that three years later they did go into all the world and that's why we're here today. So Matthew 5 is a commission as well that Jesus gives to people. So let's read it together. It says this. uh, When I say together, I don't mean read out loud at the same time. Look, there's some mum who's like, I need to wash your jumper (laughs) over half term. Where's your jumper? I don't know. (laughs) And it's up there. Anyway, uh, this this is what Jesus said. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is a really radical passage. What Jesus is, what the implications of this are really radical. I don't think, I've been a Christian more than half my life now, and it was only relatively recently that I heard people unpack this and, th- and me think, wow, this is, 
this is very relevant and very empowering. You know, like it was just kind of like one of those things Jesus said, you know, and we think about it, be salt and light, and that's kind of as far as we get to it. So today we're going to look at three thoughts from the passage, and then as we go into Joyfest, three practical tips, and then we're going to finish with some uh, examples from previous years that might give us a bit of an inspiration. And if you don't know what Joyfest is, we'll, we'll get to that, um, so that will happen. So the first thing is it's, when, uh, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he is talking to ordinary people. So this is the start of Jesus' ministry. So he is, at the moment, he is just an itinerant uh, preacher, rabbi. You know, he's this new guy. No one really knows what he is. So all of our stuff that we know about Jesus, they don't know yet. They're just trying to figure it out. And so it says at the start, he says he, he takes his disciples to teach them, and then crowds start to gather. Now, I think we can assume that those people in the crowds were just very ordinary people. If you were a person of significance, if you had responsibilities, you couldn't wander off up a mountain to hear this guy talk. You had to run your trade or your business or do these meetings or order people around. So these are just people who are curious that are able to go there. And what Jesus does is he takes a title that he has for himself, the light of the world, and he gives it to these people that are listening to him. He says, you are the light of the world. So uh, we need to pay attention to the grammar here because he's not saying you will be, you might become. With a little bit of training, you could qualify to be the light of the world. He is saying you are the light of the world. It's something that God gives to us. It's not something that we have to earn. So if you feel like the most inadequate, ordinary Christian, and this is the worst thing that people, we tend to think is like, well, I'm not a very good Christian. You know, I'm not good. That guy was in a bank queue, and he, he baptized them in a fountain outside the bank. You know, I'm not a very good Christian. That's not what it is, because this is about the way God works with identity. Identity comes first, and then we act out of that identity. In the world, we do things so that we hope to become something. You know, like, I do all these things, so then I can feel like I have become this thing. You know, I've my career, my achievements, my sporting will, will make me that thing. It's the other way around with God. He says, you are, I give you this identity. Now you can live it out. Um, so we are given this uh, identity to shine God's light into the world. And that's, this is for you and me. This is when uh, at the beginning of creation... God makes people in his image, the image of God. This is what it is. To start to live out that image, to live out that reality, is to shine his light. We become a mirror of God's, the fullness of God. We become a mirror that reflects some of that to the world around us. So this, this truth should make us confident that God wants to use us. If you sit there and think, oh, well, I'm, sh yeah, I'm sure he's going to do stuff through those people because they're confident, they know their Bible, they, I know that they do quiet times, or I know that they're this or that, whatever we think they do that, that qualifies them, this, isn't, this is what, not what it's saying. This is telling us that you and I, God wants to use us just as we are. And the second thing is this, strategically placed. So, We've got this English idiom, haven't we, about not hiding your light under a bushel or a basket, which means if you're good at something, don't pretend you're not. Don't let people know you're good at stuff. It doesn't mean this at all. Jesus is talking about something different. Now, I don't know if any of you 
came in here today and just were amazed at the way they've set this hall up. Because, I don't know if you noticed, look, they've put their lights on the ceiling. Whereas in, in my house, you know, lights are quite fragile, so we keep them in the cupboards, you know, to keep them safe, because that's just a more sensible place, surely. It is a bit rubbish in the winter, because it's obviously very dark. You know, we get a little bit of light come out from under the cupboard door. But that's the sensible place to put lights. And I'm just amazed that the genius who designed this school hall and thought, let's put the lights where we want them to shine. Like, we never think that, do we? Because you put the light where you want it to shine. This is the point Jesus is making. He's saying God is like an architect, like an interior designer. You place the light where you want it to shine. You know, uh, you, you want a little, want a bit of accent lighting in this corner. You know, you put a lamp there. You place the light where you want it to shine. And so what Jesus is saying is you're the light of the world and God places you where he wants you to shine. So if we think, well, I can, under, I can believe that for people who are called to go to Tanzania or Morocco or wherever, you know, that, that I'm sure God's, cause God told them to go there and place them there. They're shining there, but it doesn't work for me because I'm not strategically placed. My life is just random. I think we feel, feel this a lot, you know. The job I do, well, I, I got a job there, and then it was a temporary job. Then they offered me a uh, permanent post, so I took it, and I never really wanted to do it. But then I had bills to play, pay, and I'd done promotion. I've been there for 40 years. You know, we, we have that. Or I thought this would be a good career. I went to university. I got a qualification. Now I do it. It just feels random. The, the house I lived in, it wasn't actually the house I wanted to live in, but the house we wanted someone else got, or it wasn't available. So we live in this one because it's got the right number of bedrooms, and it's in the right area. All these things that we think are just random, what Jesus is saying is God is bigger than the randomness of it. God has a strategy that is more powerful than what we feel are just, we fell into it, it just happened. You know, even the things we say, well, this, ha this thing happened and it was bad and now I'm here. God is even bigger than that. So this telling us wherever we are is where God wants to shine his light. This isn't about something, you know, that we need to go somewhere else to do. Jesus said the kingdom of God, and he's talking about us carrying the kingdom of God inside us. Kingdom of God is like yeast worked into the dough. So we're all here now, but tomorrow morning at this time, we are going to be scattered throughout the city. We are like that yeast that's being worked into the dough of our city. And that's where God wants us to be. Um. You know, sometimes I think, because I'm a church leader, people think, oh, well, you've got calling. You know, God called you to do this. So, you know, my life is just full of randomness, but probably the most embarrassing one is the reason I ended up in Exeter was I had to, I had to choose where to go through clearing, university clearing, like on the last day. And, uh, and I could have gone to Leeds to do electrical engineering, which was kind of more what I thought I was going to do, or I could come to Exeter to study art. And I chose here because I fancied a girl who lived down here. And then I spent a year, you know, like doing, putting on all the groundwork and then found out she'd known all along and wasn't interested. So, uh, but I, I know that is so random, you know, and it's just, but God used it because he's bigger than the randomness. So the first truth tells us that God wants to use you and me, just ordinary people. The second truth tells us we should look at the world around us as differently. We shouldn't look at it as just like, well, I happen to be here. We need to look at it and think, God's at work here, and he wants me to be part of that. 
you know, even the most ordinary, everyday part of our life. And the third one is this, uh, that we are called to do good deeds for God's glory. This is, we have our identity, that we are the light of the world, and now we've moved into what we do. We are, we are good in, in the world around us. We are something, then we do something. So these are not just about doing good things, not about being nice. It's the thing that we need to see is it's pointing towards God. We do good deeds so people will praise or will attribute or will consider, you know, know it comes from the, our Father in heaven. And I think this is the radical aspect to it. I don't know, when I first became a Christian, the big thing was friendship evangelism. You just need to be the best friend you can to anyone. And then eventually, they will fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? And so that's why I just tried to be, and actually, I, mostly I ended up as a doormat to everyone. Uh, and then I remember I, I was living in London in a bedsit, and the guy had a bedsit in the same house. He was nicer than me. <laughs> and that was a real problem, because that just blew my whole theology. You know, like, he wasn't a Christian, he was nicer than me. So... Um, the thing is, the good things we do are meant to point people towards God. So I think with our long-term relationships, what people start to recognize in us is how God-centered we are all the way through. And we communicate with that when we, t- when we get to talk about our priorities and our choices, and, our, and they see the way we react to things about um, not gossiping, not getting offended, not retaliating, about being honest people with integrity, the way we treat others, how secure we are, how faithful we can be, how we love our enemies, how we help those in need. These are all the good deeds that then people over a long term get to see our, that this is an outworking of our faith so they understand that this is, comes from God. It doesn't have to mean because it's from God, it is the more nicer than or gooder, gooder, more gooderer than anyone else can do. Because people are people are good because they're made in the image of God. What we've got to discover is we become more good than we would be without God, and help people understand that 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 value-added goodness comes from God. So we we build a picture where people start to see God's presence in us. But hard for us, I think, is because we are, most of us, British middle class, it's all about being nice. That is the nature of being middle class, you know, to be nice and polite. Uh, But the difference is we're at the centre of that, the British middle class. So you're nice because then you expect people to think better of you or to be nice to you in return. You invite people around for dinner and then you think, I can't believe they haven't invited us back, you know, all that, um, things like that. So none of that's really bad, but this is just something different to break out of that and to put God at the center. And that's why Joyfest is a really good idea. So the idea with Joyfest is you do a good deed and help people join the dots to God by saying it is part of a church thing. So you make a neighbor a cake or you offer to mow their garden or you give out donuts at the train station on the platform. And you can just say to people, I'm doing this because I'm part of this initiative my church is doing to make Exeter a brighter place and even that simple way just is that pointer towards this deed is connected to my faith and for so many people in the city who just have no idea that the church is even a presence you know they see the buildings have no idea it's going for them to meet someone who's normal and does something nice and they go away feeling you know go away with a smile because the church is so important as a introductory step for a lot of people because they're like oh 
Well, the church, there are people in the church. These do exist. And because they're here, I feel a bit better about myself. This is just an easy way for us to, in a short time, help people join the dots. It's really useful as well if you've got, you know, you're at work or you've got neighbors and you think, God, I've never, it's just never come up. I've never been able to let them know that faith is a really important part of my life. This is a really good way to do that as well. Um, and I think we can adapt this to our personality as well. So thinking about this middle class thing and like expecting something back, um, if we know uh, recognition or reciprocation is an issue, we could do something anonymously or we can do something to a stranger. So it is just done in that way. Um, conversely, if you're worried, well, I, d- I think they might judge me if they know, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed that I'm a Christian or whatever, then that's good. Do something to a friend and like get it out there. Just push in. Um, although I don't think we should overthink motives because if you do that, you just never do anything. So uh, it's just good to be uh, aware of the dynamics. So the th- three truths. So ordinary people, God, the truth is God wants to use you, wants to use me strategically placed, the truth is we see the world around us as the place God wants us to be working for him. And the third one, good deeds for God's glory, we are not trying to build our own reputation. We are trying to point people towards God. So three tips as we go into Joyfest. So the idea is we are going to have opportunities or take this week and other churches in the city are doing it. And what's been really exciting in the past is where there's been crossovers. People have been Joyfested by multiple different people. You know, I think that's a real opportunity for God to be at work in people's lives. So an act of joy is you do something nice to someone to make them smile and you tell them that it's part of Joyfest. It just helps them to join the dots. We have these cards that you can give to people. These cards this year are printed onto seed paper that you can plant, and then it grows wildflowers. So that's pretty cool as well. Um, But don't eat them. Uh, Because they look like they're kind of rice paper. I was tempted to have a nibble. Um, So three tips as we go into this week. So the first one is to plan ahead. If we have good intentions and say, I'm just going to be spontaneous, I'll look for an opportunity when it arises, really often, I'm sure we all know from good intentions, is we actually don't end up doing anything. So it's worth thinking, even if you just think, what three things could I do this week? What could I do to a stranger? What could I do to someone at work? What could I do to a neighbor? Just think about those things uh, and what you could do. And then like, if you're going to give someone some cookies, well, you need to buy the cookies. You can't be spontaneous. You're like, oh, I just want to, you know, like brighten your day. Can you just stay here for half an hour while I pop to Tesco's and then I'll be back? Something like that. So we plan, think about what you're doing. Tell other people is also really powerful. If you think you're going to do something and you've told someone else, you're far more likely to do it because they're going to say, oh, did you do it? How's it gone? Things like that. The second tip I have is opening line. Any interaction, even with people you know, can be difficult. You know, it takes, it requires some emotional energy, and especially stuff where you feel like you're a bit more out of your comfort zone, like you're doing something to strangers or something like that. If you have thought about your opening line, it just makes everything much easier. You know, uh, you're not like stuttering or stuff like that. So, um, some things that are good. One thing I think is really helpful is say, this might seem a little weird, but I've cooked you this cake because it's part of I'm involved in this thing called Joyfest that, that my church is involved in, something like that. 
The good thing about saying this might seem a bit weird, because you are doing something weird, and then the danger is people think you're a weirdo. So if you acknowledge this is weird, it shows you're not a weirdo, because weirdos don't know they're weirdos. So if you say that, then it just makes people at ease, because if someone comes up to you and does something, you're like, what on earth is this? This is, this is weird. And if they say, I know this seems weird, you're like, Phew, we both know it. You know, like, that can be really helpful. So an opening line like that can be really helpful. If you're giving something for free, people don't like to receive things for free because people are suspicious. We're suspicious. Someone comes and gives you something for free and says, here, I want you to have this donut. And you're like, oh, bite into it. And then they go, and so can I come and live in your house for a month or something like that? You know, because it feels like there's this emotional uh, debt that they have to you. So it's really clear sometimes to help them understand there is a transaction going on, even if it's for free. So, you know, we've had this when we've done free things as a church lots of times. People are like, oh, no, let me give you some money or let me do this for you. And um, so to tell them that there is a transaction, this is the transaction we're doing. We are giving, we are doing nice things, and it's like a social experiment because we want to make the city a happier place. So I, I've actually said that before. Oh, it's a bit like a social experiment to try and make the city a happier place. We have outlined the transactions going on. I am giving you a donut. Your, your, your contribution to that is to be a bit happier. Then that's all I want from you, you know, that, because that, oh, I'm taking part in the social experiment. So even things like that, just to tell people what, that you're not going to spring something on them at the back, because people can be suspicious. So these kind of, just to think, how am I going to start this opening line? And then the third tip is to encourage others. So when we in the previous years, when this has really worked, it's when it feels like there's momentum building. And I can remember the first year we did it, got to the Monday morning, I was like, oh, man, I think I have emotional energy to do one thing. You know, that's all I felt about. And then we have our Facebook group, the Vineyardians, and people were sharing on that. And then we had WhatsApp messages for our small groups. People were saying, oh, I've done this. And it's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Oh, that's really good. Oh, they had a great thing that's all fantastic and that builds our sense of momentum you know hearing what else is going on so when you do something tell other people that you've done these things now the aim is just to brighten people's day genuinely but sometimes so the card people can scan the qr code and go to a website and it, and it just explains again a little bit more that this is the church is in exeter do this um but sometimes people want to chat about why you've done it and what it means. Sometimes people are looking for, you know, these, they have genuine thoughts and questions and comments and, and curiosities about the church, about faith. You might get to have a conversation. Sometimes it opens up and we get to pray with someone as well. We're not, it's not the express wish of this, but if those things happen, that's really exciting as well. And we should tell other people that. So plan what you're going to do. Think about how you're going to, open that line when you approach someone or they open the door or you go into work. The other thing, the opening line, sorry, is if your, your, work might, your workplace might have a culture of bringing in cakes on birthdays and things like that, and then you feel like, well, this is a bit, I mean, this is what everyone does. What may, you know, it's not like I'm doing something radical, but you can just do it and say, oh, I've chosen to do it this week because of Joyfest, you know, and again, it's just something nice to do something for others. Um, and then encourage others. So I want to finish just going through some things that have happened in the past that people have done because this might give you some inspiration. So somebody, this is uh, the old design card. Someone left uh, a pot with money in it. Help yourself to money for a drink. 
Joyfest random acts to make Exeter smile, some of the cards, and then this was in a cafe. Uh, someone did that. I think it was on a university campus. Somebody took cookies into work and just left them in the break room. Oh, after school, you can't read that. It says this was at school on a Friday afternoon, uh, and they checked with the school. It's fine. It says free ice lollies for kids, adults, and even staff. No catch. Something about bright in the day and joy fest at the bottom. Uh, flowers with you see a little tag with encouragement and a card. Those were left for, for strangers to find. Someone did cream teas. Oh no, cupcakes for their um, their work. You see the poster. You can go onto a website called church.joyfest.org.uk, church.joyfest.org.uk, and you can download like a sheet if you want to then print it out and you can write your own stuff on it or put it into things. Um, taking cream teas to the staff at the train station. Uh, little envelopes with vouchers inside. It said this, to whoever finds this, using clothes to brighten your day or to brighten someone else's. Whatever you do, I hope it brings you some joy and remember you are loved. Hashtag joyfest. Fruit basket to, I think that went to a school reception. Uh, bubble blowers and stones with encouragement written on them. Uh, to all the doctors, nurses, and staff, you've been joy-fested. Uh, so that went to a doctor's surgery. These break bags filled with cakes and stuff and handed out to people. Uh, street parties. These were the uh, encouragements that were added to flowers. Uh, to the finders of these flowers, this is to wish you joy today. Uh, you are stronger than you know, more capable than you ever dreamed, and you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. Actually, one of those was found by a woman who then like, put on social media about it, and she was like, just having the most awful time. She was really ill and all this, and she had sat down to text her mum and said, I, I can't do this anymore or something, and then she got that and said, you're stronger than you know, more capable than you ever dreamed, and it was like transformative, which is really exciting. Homemade cookies, these were dropped into shops, like independent stores for the staff. So there's all sorts of fun ways you can do, creative ways you can do this to express something of joy to people around you and just point them towards uh, God. So that's the plan. This week ahead, to be honest, the week's not that much of a bother if you want to do it the following week or the week after that. So you can grab some cards. When, when we leave, grab some cards, think about what you want to do, and then, and then do it in the week, and let, then let people know. If you're not on the, the, the Vineyardian group, which is the kind of internal church one, then tell someone who is, and they can put it up. Um, because the, the only thing we don't want to do in the public thing is be like, look what we've done. For the, you know, we don't want to make it like we're d we have, uh, a, that there's some kind of hidden agenda, I guess, is important. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, 
www.exe.vin. Thank you.